Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and thank you for joining us today for Live Dharma Sunday. Please note that if you have called in to listen to today's broadcast, then all lines have been placed on mute to avoid background interference. If you're listening from any of our Bright Dawn sites, note that it is not necessary to call in. You may have to wait a second or two for the loading and buffering process to complete, but if there is still no audio, please refresh your page. For more information about Bright Dawn and its activities and links to our social media sites, please visit brightdawn.org. Once again, thank you for listening to Live Dharma Sunday and enjoy the talk. Welcome, everyone, to Live Dharma Sunday for November 8th, 2020. Koyo here. So very, very glad you were able to join us. Oh, boy. I guess November, uh, Thanksgiving is on down the line, and then the holiday season, the winter holiday season starts and all that. Oh, that's that's all good. Things get a little hectic, but that's all right. Things move indoors in most uh, climates and parts of the country. And, of course, we're dealing with a strange new normal uh, all over the world. Uh, In California, we've had a lot of wildfires, but, uh, you know, it's uh, usually in a forested area and usually not too threatening to to civilized areas in terms of property and people, although sometimes it could get kind of close and you can never get lackadaisical about it. Uh, so we do have a lot of fires, and one effect it has on everybody is it makes the air so smoky. Yeah, when, I, when we drive around here in uh, Central California, We're in the Central Valley, and you could look out uh, on the horizon, and you could see a lot of mountain ranges, Sierra Nevadas, and so forth. But nowadays, it's just too smoky. And, of course, because of the virus, everybody's wearing a mask. I still can't get used to it. Get out of the car, go shopping or something, get out of the car, start walking, and then, oh, I better go back and get my mask. well, well, yeah, the other day we went shopping and got some uh, ingredients uh, for the kitchen. And uh, this morning, in fact, I was gathering some uh, ingredients to to uh, cook up a recipe, one of our favorites. Uh, and um, yeah, when you cook a meal... You know, I think there's some uh, parallel or an analogy or metaphor, whatever you call it, to cooking your spiritual life. 
And I think in the Buddhist literature, I'm sure there are some specialized scholars that could uh, point out um, that that kind of uh, analogy between cooking and spiritual life has overlaps, implications or ramifications. I'm thinking of Dogen, who I think one of his writings uh, was instructions to the to the cook. You know, I think in the Zen monasteries they call them tenzo, and uh, I don't remember what the content uh, of his writings were on that, but you know, instructions to the cook. And uh, if uh, a cook in a monastery or, you know, any kind of cook that has responsibility for a group, that's a heavy responsibility. I mean, if it's a work group or whatever it is, or if it's a holiday gathering, if if the cook messes up, well, (laughs) you better call a cater in a restaurant food, I guess. But, and of course, the whole area of cuisine, uh, different types of cuisine, there's gourmet chefs, and um, uh, cooking, eating is a very fundamental human thing for human life. You have to eat. But of course, it's not just eat for survival. Uh, It's become a when we talk about cuisine, uh, you know, we're going beyond survival. Okay. You want something that tastes good. Okay. And how much attention, how many cookbooks, how many (laughs) as a topic, Ah, that's very popular, wide, big, whole mess of recipe books and all kinds of things. And everybody, every human being has to eat. Okay, if you go travel to another country, to another area of the country, you know, yeah, you got all our fast foods, you got the whole food industry, and, 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 you know, famous cooks, okay, TV shows, whatever. That's a big area. But <laughs> I was just thinking about this because I said, well, I'm going to talk about what I was doing this morning. I was gathering the, the recipe ingredients. And maybe later today, I'm going to actually do the cooking. But you notice right here, uh, before you start cooking, you got to make sure you got all the ingredients. If you're working from a recipe, it'd be kind of a simplistic mistake if you just, oh, I thought I had that. Now you're in the middle of a, preparing a meal and you don't have you have to run out to to get something that you thought you had so you get all your ingredients which I did put them on a kitchen counter make sure you got everything okay and then you I suppose a lot of people might think hey so and so or I'm a good cook and and of course you do have professional gourmet chefs and restaurants and so forth um, how about how do you cook a spiritual life? Hmm, what kind of comparisons? What kind of teachings? What kind of a uh, kind of interesting, huh? Uh, 
I think that uh, one aspect of this is if you're an experienced cook, by experience I mean not that you're knowledgeable, but knowledge is, is, is nothing. You have to have experience. Okay? Uh, it's invaluable, essential. And so yeah, if you're going to be a good cook, you, you, you have to cook a lot. Somehow you gather some intuitive information about basic things, what goes with water. No, no, I don't want to put in too much of this. Okay. Somehow you know that. Okay. Uh, and so there's no uh, uh, substitute for actually the experience of actually doing a lot of cooking. You can read all kind of cookbooks you want, and that might be helpful, but... Uh, now the same thing, I suppose, when you, if you're interested in a spiritual life, huh? a tasty gourmet spiritual life, <laughs> you know, a tremendous lot of courses, tremendous satisfaction, flavors, and all that. You could make the analogy. Uh, do you have all the ingredients first? What are the ingredients? Is there a recipe? Uh, now, when you make a certain meal according to a recipe, the reason for a recipe is so that you could make that meal again, or that other people could make this make this dish. Now, here's where. Is everybody's spiritual life in terms of the end product similar? Well, maybe. Identical? Probably not. Okay. Now, here's where you might say there's some nuances. Because uh, say you got a gourmet chef and he's got a great dish and he writes the recipe down and presumably a novice following that recipe can pretty much produce a similar dish. Now, I wonder whether that holds for a wise sage with a rich gourmet spiritual life, matured and everything, and a novice that's just starting out on a spiritual path. And, of course, he does read a lot of books, talks to people and everything, okay? And, of course, those things all point to a door, point in a direction, but you've got to open those doors. You've got to travel. You've got to do it. Okay. And I would think that the individual differences between different spiritual lives, good spiritual lives, okay, uh, there's, there's some commonality, and you probably could describe it in terms of peace of mind, compassion, you know, these kinds of adjectives of what you might think is a good spiritual life. But I don't think that uh, it could be the same as producing a meal from a recipe. And uh, some recipes, I think, well, of course, the purpose of a recipe is to produce the same meal, the same dish. And that reminded me one time, uh, when I was at the Buddhist Temple Chicago, I, st I, st I wanted to 
start some late late talks. And so once a month, you know, I got made a list, talked to people, and uh, advocated for people to give a late talk for a member of the congregation and to make a schedule and so forth so that we had one late talk a month. And um, I thought it was a pretty successful program, you know. Um, and one in particular, a young couple, married couple, and the, the husband was talking about uh, that his wife was a good cook. And uh, they they were relatively new marriage couple, and and she was a pretty good cook, his wife. And so he got a you know they're learning each other, <laughs> newlyweds, so to speak. And she hey, she makes a nice meal. He goes, oh boy, this was good. Okay, um, and he was used to. When he was single and growing up, if his mother made something and he says, oh, this is really great, Mom, she would note that so that she could make it again for him, okay, using the same recipe, doing the same thing to produce the same good meal. So that's what he was used to. So he turned to his new wife, and, and he was telling this story as part of his late Dharma talk, and he says, oh, you better... You know, is that all written down? You know, uh, exactly how to how to do that. This is a great. And his his new wife was saying, "Well, you know, this 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 thing. What? This is great, man. You know, you, you know, make sure." And then they're talking about it, and, and finally she she got a little exasperated because he was pushing it so much. Because he's sort of an engineer type. Okay, if I can use stereotype. You know how engine. I don't mean to talk bad about engineers, but okay, you know what I mean. Hard science and so forth versus the humanities and the arts and those other kind of activities. And so he wanted this to be duplicated, replicated in the future. It was so good. And he was trying to pin her down on that. And finally, she said, "Don't you realize that my kitchen's a Zen kitchen?" <laughs> Well, the point I want to make here is that uh, if you get a lot of experience, okay, because, say, well, of course, eating is important, okay, and then it goes to another level, you know, gourmet dish and so forth, and you get an experienced cook. Okay. Now, they know a lot of things that probably cannot be put into a cookbook recipe, okay? And uh, you think about it, this makes sense. They they just have a feel for it. Oh, maybe, oh, they didn't think about it beforehand, but say, oh, I better add a little bit of this. Or I got some of this left over here. Hey, that would be okay. That won't clash, okay? And, of course, if you, if you don't know what you're doing, you could have a happy accident, but you could most likely have a disaster. Okay. Now, uh, in terms of a Zen kitchen, meaning something organic, something not like a machine, 
you know that <laughs> that that uh, is so precise it will turn out and do everything exactly the same okay. uh, good chefs and meals and dishes are like that, and I think spiritual life in general is like that. There are some general things, but if you get to the nuanced level for you know for the kind of excellence or gourmetness that I'm talking about, there are no shortcuts. You have to you have to struggle, you have to try, you have to get the experience. Okay? You have to be hanging around in the kitchen. You have to see how it's done. You have to make a lot of mistakes, okay? And you learn about it. Okay? Um because there's a there's a danger here where you have to beware beware of just because you see somebody modeling certain behavior and if that modeling is a gourmet chef or a very wise teacher, you may uh misgeneralize what you observe in your observational learning, okay. And you might think, oh, I want add what you want, add anything you think is going to work, and so forth. That's what the teacher did. Um, I remember also when I was in high school, this is sort of a different example, but off to the side a little bit. Uh, It was a biology class. And Mrs. Hawks, she was a teacher. She was kind of a, you know, down-to-earth, no-nonsense teacher. But she was telling them, we're high school students. You know, high school students. We don't listen too good. We always think we know more than adults do. Okay. Um, Until we get to be young adults, then we realize, hey, my teachers, my my parents, they they learned a lot in those few years that I grew up. No, they're the same. You're the one they learned, okay? But anyway, this biology teacher, she 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 knew about this. She's a longtime teacher, and she's teaching us in a new biology class how to uh, handle your microscope. And you come in a biology class, and then all the microscopes are in the cabinet, and then you got a partner or whatever, and you go and you get your microscope, you put it down, and then you share and you you know do what you're going to do in the class. But she says, "I'm going to I'm telling you how to handle this microscope because I don't want any accidents or break it or drop it or anything." Okay. So you grab the microscope like this from the handle with one hand, and then you put your other hand on the bottom of the base, and you carry it over from the storage cabinet over there. Okay. And she says, now you might see me just grab it with one hand and just casually bring it over. Don't do what I do. (laughs) I've been doing this for, you know, 20 years, okay. and she she really made this, uh, emphasize this, and I said, you know, there, there's a, uh, 
good lesson there. And um, uh, just like, maybe this is similar too. If you see in athletics or sports, if you have somebody that was a really uh, super athlete, uh, they go beyond the basics. But they never skipped the basics. They mastered the basics so much that they were able to transcend them and do things that ordinary athletes couldn't do. Okay. But the thing is, if <laughs> things, since things are televised and whatnot, and young kids see these super athletes do these things that are extraordinary, they think, they, they say, oh, wow. And they try to do it directly without all the practice of the fundamentals. A similar kind of message, you know. Uh, you, you, you learn the most by doing yourself. All the teachings point to the door, but you know, and maybe it opens the door. Okay, but you you got to do the walking. You got to do it. Okay. Um, and in fact, when you see super athletes, they make things look simple. <laughs> it's not simple. Okay. Uh, they, they might do some fancy moves, but they have they know the basics. That you know, they're way beyond that. Okay. They, what they do is smooth. What they do. Difficult things that look simple, okay, that's because they're great athletes. Okay. You, no matter what you do, if, you, if you're not genetically equipped and have the temperament to practice and love that sport so much, you know, that you're willing to put in all that work, you may never get to that level. Okay. Man, but that's beside the point. It's, it's the attitude of how you want to be the best that you can be. That is a tremendous, well, I would suppose it's a concept or a teaching. It holds for, especially in athletics or Special Olympics and things like this, to be the best that you can be. Okay. But when you have some external standards of, you know, professional athletes in competition, okay, uh, uh, they should inspire you to to be the best that you can be. Okay? And if you never break a world record, oh, that was a failure. Okay? That's pretty uh, a big mistake in terms of gathering all your recipes and your whole attitude toward what you're doing. Okay? With, uh, forget the means. I just want the end. I want to stand on it, be the champion of the world, and you know, stand on the the podium. Okay. But of course, the biggest thing about sports participation is the doing. Is the doing giving it your all, and you know you gave it your all, and this was the result. I I was the best I could be. Okay. Whether it's Special Olympics, whether it's in what level of competition it is, huh? Okay. It's a beautiful thing. So this is part of what gathering the recipes, ingredients is all about, I think. Okay. Uh, you, 
you made the, I made this meal many times before. It's one of our favorite meals. And you know, sometimes I might I might innovate. Okay. Not that I'm a gourmet chef, but for this particular recipe, I say, hey, okay. Oh, I got some of this leftover stuff, vegetable here. Will I go? Yeah, I think I could add a little bit. Don't add a lot. You, you, you certainly can over-season something, and you'll ruin it. Okay. But, you know, when you taste it, hey. Uh, my taste buds are probably sub-average in terms, you know, uh, uh, some people, uh, they could eat spoiled food and they don't know it. Okay. And that, that, that's a blessing in a way. Okay. But if you've got a real, sort of you're a professional taster, you can taste a dish and say, oh, a little bit of uh, a rosemary there. And now yeah, I taste a little, uh, you know, oregano or something like that. Okay. Well, that's their talent. That's what happened, and that was their interest and ability and capability. Fine, you know. And you got to apply all that not just to cooking a meal, but to your one's own spiritual life. Okay. So, oh, gee, uh, I looked at this. I, I I observed this. I read about this. I saw this person. You know, I've got to go to India, and I've got to go sit in a cave for. You know, so many years. Is there is there a, a rigid, dogmatic way to do things? No. Okay. Same thing with a, a cooking recipe. Okay. You've got to have some degree of sincerity of producing, you know, being in the right direction, in the right ballpark. Okay. And this is all where, what's, uh life experience is about. You'll never be able to get to that by just armchair reading and, you know, listening to talks. You've got to be sincere and go for it, okay? With self-introspection, reflection, and honesty, and sincerity, okay? And then you have a beautiful, beautiful, tasteful dish. <laughs> well, I got carried away there. I got carried away. I want to introduce our guest to give us a Dimergams today, uh, Renee Sayo. She lives in upstate New York, and she's part of our was part of our LM8 group. Okay, we're on LM14 group now, but let's hear from Renee Sayo. Good morning, everyone. Uh, the name of my glimpse is called What If? Our dog, Bella, of 15 years, died a month ago a little over a year after our dog, Bach, died. We told ourselves that would be it. No more dogs. After all, I'll be 70 years old next year, and what if we were to get a puppy and the dog outlived us? What if we can't handle puppy training at our age? Bella lived for 15 years. In 15 years, I will be 85. What if, what if, what if? Bella's passing came a few months into the pandemic, where we were not seeing anyone or going anywhere. The house was very quiet now, with no dogs to look after and no visitors. I could not see my mom 
in her assisted living facility anymore, except by kneeling down on the ground outside her window and talking to her through a screen. No more hugs or holding hands through a screen. Life had changed for us. Yes, it would be perfect opportunity to let go of distractions and go within, meditate, read all those books I never got around to reading, paint more, go into nature more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It all sounds wonderful. But where was the joy? A voice in my head was asking me, what about joy? Yes, I know joy comes from within and all, but it brought me so much joy to hug my dogs, hug my mom, hug all the residents at my mom's assisted living, hug my students in the art class I was teaching, hug my neighbors, all that was gone. I started hugging the trees in our yard on a more regular basis, but that wasn't making me laugh and smile, and I couldn't play in the yard with them. My heart was broken. I was grieving, not only over the loss of my dogs, but for the love I was able to give and inspire in others. My joy disappeared. I started asking myself, what would bring me joy during this time of isolation? started taking walks in our neighborhood every morning months earlier, and it was then when I realized that my joy came from the dogs the owners were walking. I was able to pet and talk to their dogs, big and small. There was little Finley who would see me coming from way down the street and run to the edge of his little invisible fence to get a hug from me. But as I walked away, I was sad, too, because my heart wanted my own dog again. That was it. The answer was right in front of me. Dogs. Dogs bring me great joy. But what if? Well, wonder of wonder, miracle of miracles, a few days later, our dog breeder, Ginny, where we got our other three louchin puppies, posted on Facebook pictures of her three, her new three-week-old litter. My heart leaped for joy, but I kept thinking, what if? What if I'm too old to manage again? What if my dog outlives us? Isn't it wonderful how cute little puppies win your heart and all the what-ifs disappear in that moment? We called Ginny the breeder immediately and asked if there was a little girl available. She said yes. We said we'll take her, just like that. Oh my, I thought. What if, what if, what if? All the what-ifs came back again. But we said yes. I was excited about our new little puppy coming in six more weeks, but at the same time, the what-ifs kept creeping up. But each time I meditated on it, I was unclear if it was the right thing to do. But what could possibly bring us more joy than a puppy during this time of isolation? Oh, sure, there will be the potty training and all the puppy training that goes along with it. But having had four dogs previously, we pretty much knew what to expect. We are preparing the house now like expectant parents. Crates, dog beds, baby gates, toys, chews, you name it, we'll be ready. We even have a neighbor friend who, when we mentioned the dreaded what if, jumped at the chance to take her should we pass before our dog. We will not have our new little puppy until she is 10 weeks old. 
a month and a half from now. But the what-ifs were now getting louder and more frequent. I didn't understand. How can I be excited and yet at the same time have all these what-ifs as to whether or not it was the right thing to do? What if my what-ifs were, in fact, telling me this is not what we are to do? What if we are jumping into this 15-year responsibility because of our grief and wanting to fill the emptiness left in our hearts? I told myself life is full of what-ifs, probabilities, change, decisions, and choices we make on every step of our journey. But how do we know which choice is the right choice at every turn? We have an internal guidance system that is impeccable. It is our GPS. And if we listen, we will know which way to turn, which choice feels right. My internal guidance system was now sounding an alarm. It was going off as a discomfort, unease, a stomach ache of anxiousness. I knew it was telling me, guiding me away from the decision to get a puppy. And the longer I waited to cancel the puppy, the louder my alarm kept sounding. The what-ifs in my mind were trying to tell me this. I was guided to listen to what is instead of what if. What is happening now is that I was older than I was 15 years ago when we brought our puppies home. And all my what-ifs were telling me it won't be the same at my age as it was when I was 15 years younger. I was reminded by my nagging what-ifs that the only real joy comes from following my own heart, my inner guidance system. We are all unique in our past, and it is truly a blessing to know that all the answers lie within us if we just listen and pay attention to knowing that all answers exist within me. The joy of knowing, this is the practice, this is the dharma. However, my guidance system did not leave us bereft of having a pet. We were guided to adopt a joyful two-year-old kitten named Willow. It happened immediately after we canceled the puppy. To have faith and trust my impeccable inner guidance system is the lesson I learned. It never fails. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you have a beautiful day. Thank you very much. I love it. What if? And then, this has changed that F to an S. What is? Uh-huh. Uh, you could see how, you know, what if? Uh, the head. Yeah, logic. Rationality, uh, pros and cons. Okay. You got to make a decision. Okay. Um, <laughs> I remember one time. This is my own personal experience, but <laughs> I was a college student uh, sharing an apartment with some guys and you know my buddies, and and it came to where I was going to buy a car, and. Uh, I said, well, I, I, I could buy a, I was shopping around and the choice came down to, I could buy a Volkswagen or a car. I could buy this uh, Impala Chevy. It was red. 
big engine. Okay. Or I can buy a Volkswagen Bug. Or a little more practical, more gas, better gas mileage, and so forth. And, and I was at sea. I, I was wondering, you know, what's what's the best decision? And so I was I was uh, uh, talking to my college roommate, and I said, "Gee, should I buy the?" Dude, I was telling him I was kind of in a quandary, and uh, he says, "Ah." He kind of dismissed me, and he says, "You know, write down your pros and cons, and just make decision. What are you, what are you, you know, all tied up in knots for?" I said, "Oh, you know, I felt kind of, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, rebuffed, or you know." Uh, I said, "Oh, gee," to myself, I said, "Oh, gee, well, gee maybe, I, you know, get, be more decisive, be more, you know, know what you want," and then. Some months later, he was in some kind of a situation. I don't remember what it was now exactly, not buying a car or anything, but he was saying, gee, should I do A or B? And he was saying this, what if this, what if. And my eyes got wide because it was only a few months ago that he laid into me about when I was trying to decide about the cars. And he and I said, Hey, you know, you remember when I was trying to buy a car, you said it like this? Why don't you take that advice for yourself? Instead of tying yourself in knots over this decision of yours. And he smiled sheepishly at me and he said, Oh, this is different. Uh, <laughs> well, there's some big lesson there, you know. Uh, if you give advice to somebody else, they they're not in your shoes. Okay? You know, um, their what ifs and what is is and everything else are different than everybody else's. Huh? Uh, I think that uh, I remember. <laughs> I'll tell this story some other time about getting a getting a new puppy in our house because <laughs> I, I know it will be a long story, but there's all kind of teachings in these everyday everyday life occurrences. Huh? Should we get a pet? Uh, hey, what are we gonna cook tonight? Uh, you know, a little uh, switch, so to speak, internal switch of you know. The spiritual implications or life teachings, and and that's a rich source, very rich source for cooking up one's spiritual life. Hey, hey, that's all for today's broadcast. Till next time, keep going, and you have a wonderful day.